I went over to Scotland about six weeks ago. We went on a whiskey distillery tour and it was just, it was sad and fantastic. And he was a, like a beautiful man, wonderful man. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. We've been watching 90 Seconds of Goodness if you're watching this or you've been listening to 90 Seconds of Bowls versus who, Luke? Shamrock Rovers. Right. Uh, so Luke McManus is with us in the studio. That's a clip from North Circular which is in cinemas tonight, Friday. There certainly you go. Is. Yeah. It certainly is. Yeah. Opens tonight in IFI Lighthouse, Savoy. Queen's Film Theatre Belfast and IMC Dunleary come with the Cork Galway in London later in the week. Very good. Just get that out of the way, right? Yeah, yeah, let's do now it. Now we can talk. The hard sell is over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so North Circular is like 95 minutes? 85. 85 minutes? 85. Documentary about the North Circular Road. Right. Why did you do it? Um, there's a lot of reasons. I think um, I lived there, I suppose, is the number one reason. I've been part of that community for 25 years now, half my life. So... It always has been a very interesting place to live. Like there's a lot of resonances and stuff going on. And I always thought about the way the character of the road changed as you went along it and how the character of the road changes throughout the year. You know, in the late summer, early autumn, you have that big invasion of fans to Croke Park. You know, you have the summer gigs and then how the winter, it gets quite dark and gloomy and almost oppressive, you know. So it just struck me that the other thing about the North Circular Road that really interested me is it is sort of Ireland's main street. Like if you picked 10 Irish people at random and said, have you been to the zoo? Have you been to Croke Park? Have you been to the Three Arena or the O2, whatever it's called? Three Arena. Nine out of 10 are going to say, yes, I've been there. So it's a place everyone's been, but it's not a place anybody knows really because you're going there with a mission to go to Daily Mount, to go to Croke Park. And you're kind of hurrying through a slightly intimidating urban zone. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So... I kind of figured there'd be, I guess, a. I thought that doing a little journey along it would be interesting. And then I lay in a drawer for like 10 years and I never uh, did anything about it. 
And then COVID happened and that sort of made me go, I can make this film within 5K at a gaff. So this is the moment to make this bad boy. And that's kind of how it came to pass. All right, so it's a, a COVID uh, bounty a little bit. Well, I, it's funny enough, I did okay. It's a terrible thing to say, but my business did okay out of COVID, you know. Uh, filmmaking did fine, you know, because a lot of live events didn't happen and there was budgets to be spent on other things. But when I was pitching the film, you're, when you're pitching a film, as I'm sure you pitch for business, right? You know what it's like. You have to go in and excite them and get them really, you know, enthusiastic about what you have to offer. But you also have to reassure them that you're going to deliver and you're going to spend their money wisely. So that's a kind of two different energies in a pitch that are kind of battling each other. Yeah, don't be, don't be too enthusiastic or you might not seem credible when it comes to, I can manage these budgets. No, totally, totally. And it's the same with anything in life, you know. But the beauty of what COVID enabled for me was to go, I have this idea, I've been meaning to do it for years, I really want to do it. And I'm pitching the Arts Council and I'm like, and it's all within 5K and in fact 2K in my house, 90% of it. So no matter how bad the lockdown that we're facing into is, because this was two years ago I was pitching, I can deliver this. And that I think maybe got it over the line. Right. You know? So let's do the sports bit because this is a sports show, right? And then right we on. can talk a little bit uh, beyond that. We've, we've seen uh, Bose. There's also um, oh, the poor Mayo fans. <coughs> The, the Harper yes. Mayo fans feature. I just felt quite quintessential to be there on All Ireland Day to watch Mayo lose again. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, like I was really to talk about All Ireland Day. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying it's a very transformative moment for the North Circular. You know, the traffic swept away from it. The population of that particular stretch doubles, maybe even triples, you know, uh, if Summerhill in those couple of hours. And I just thought it was fascinating how that looks from outside the stadium. Because we're all so familiar with, I've worked in Croke Park making films for people, you know. Yeah. We know what those, it's the most overfilmed place in Ireland probably, <laughs> you know. Like what is there left to say about the inside of Croke Park? I'm not sure I've anything left to say about it. But the outside of it kind of fascinated me, the size of the stadium, the way it dominates. It's quite a sinister structure from the outside with like security cameras, razor wire, concrete bridges, locked doors. And, and, and also that energy of having a, 80,000 people hidden from sight but you can hear their roaring and yelping and screaming I don't know I, I just it's a pretty abstract section of the film but, yeah. but I kind of was fascinated by it I mean at one stage I wanted to talk about the curse and all that Yeah. and I remember talking to Paul Rouse who I'm sure you've had on the show who's in the film as a voice and he was like ah oh, don't do the curse Luke for God's sake it's a load of codswallop and he's right it is a load of codswallop but I do like it's kind of horror movie folk horror quality and the, the the film has this tone of a slightly eerie surreal yep. kind of slightly creepy energy about it and I thought the the curse fed into it but in a way I think it's okay just to look at these Mayo fans and watch them go on that journey from exhilaration anticipation I mean I'm sure all the viewers and listeners remember like they were fancy to win you they know? should have beaten Tyrone really they, they beat the yeah. Dubs in the semi-final right. they did not travel in hope they travelled in expectation that day I think so. And you can see that in them banging the side of the buses that they're on and they're kind of dancing around before the thing. And then the look of absolute disconsolate emptiness afterwards. Yeah. And it is a funny thing, that way, that emotional tide change that happens around sport, you know? Well, we saw it in the clip there where like right. there's, there's tension in Daily Mount and the, the Rovers game, obviously, um, uh, it's very important from a cultural perspective. Sometimes the North Circular isn't the best place to be after those for matches. Sure, for sure, for um, sure. That was an interesting one because 
there was no Shamrock Rovers fans in the stadium. Okay. And there was some sort of row between Bows and Rovers that going on at that time where they weren't facilitating the opposition fans. And I think they were kind of using COVID as maybe some, I don't know, I don't want to get into that too much detail, but it did change the energy. It kind of meant that the Rovers team was the focus of the kind of intensity of the Bows fans because there wasn't any opposition fans to tangle with. And Danny Mandrew had moved from Bows to Rovers and hadn't been that complimentary about uh, Bose in the papers, I believe. And also, I think his missus might have talked about how much it was upsetting Danny that the Bose fans were on his back. And you can imagine what the Bose fans, <laughs> how they responded to that. That was pouring petrol on the fire, you know. So, but I've always been, and I think we've talked about this many times, uh, me and you, fascinated by the experience of being a fan. More than a being, more than the match. Like there's no footage of the game at all in the film. Yeah, and that was a deliberate decision uh, to sort of go. This is not why we're here. What we're here is looking at this audience and these fans and yeah. this fan group and seeing how they respond and seeing the energy and that kind of masculine energy that comes off them. You know, I'm just fascinated by it. I'm I'm really really interested in where that comes from and what that is. You know, and uh, what are the answers that you've concluded about where it comes from and. Well, I don't have answers, but I have speculations, I guess. At the start of the film, Katrina Crow and Eamon Delaney talk about young Dublin men joining the British Army before the First World War. And they were in search of brotherhood, uh, experiences, adventure. adventure, excitement, a sort of channel for any discontent they had into hating another, you know, the opposition. And when you see that terrace at Bowes, it's hard not to draw a comparison between that desire for brotherhood, that desire for excitement. And that desire to be banded together against the foe yeah. seems to be a typical masculine desire. And maybe actually, no, maybe it's not masculinity. Maybe it's just a human desire. Um, in fact, it is just a human desire. So that became... Sport is very, very important in Irish society, and as you know. And the culture of sport and how it manifests itself in our society is something that's always interested me. And my conclusion about Bose and about Croke Park is that we have a deep-seated desire for communion like that is a fundamental human need and there's lots of people have written about this recently I read an amazing book by Johan Harry called Lost Connections which talks about depression and how loneliness is the primary cause of depression and if you can overcome loneliness you can overcome depression and I've suffered from depression in the past so this is something I, I really connected with and the idea of communion I think is very deep and profound. So I didn't even know what communion was. I thought it was religious, but I only looked it up a few weeks ago. And do you know what it is? Uh, a desire to be part of a community? or the, the Close, the, yeah. The bit where you actually manifest that desire into collectiveness. Pretty much. I mean, the definition is, I think, a group of people experiencing the same emotion and th or thought at the same time. That's a better way of saying it. Isn't it, yeah. right? <laughs> but I just thought it's such a fundamental thing that connects together so much of the things that interest me and all the way through the film well you see people experiencing communion well so the the parallels are obviously uh, from that into the music which is the most important part of the movie right like uh, and I guess yeah well to me the sport is is actually very important because it's there all along like we start with cricket in the Phoenix Park being played by South Asians, a mixture of South Asians, Australians, New Zealanders and Irish people and English people. So it's like a, a miniature manifestation of the British Empire in the Phoenix Park. And obviously, 
none of us think the British Empire was a good idea. It was obviously a vile and oppressive project. But there are complex benefits of it too. And one of them being something like cricket being imposed on people, but then being adopted by them. And it's become a common language where these various nationalities can join together in a communion and a shared experience that's very meaningful. You yeah. know, So I just think that that early section of the film is about the idea of empire and about militarism and having a monument to Wellington, which actually depicts him slaughtering Indian rebels in the mon- on the monument. Like. And then to beside that have South Asians playing cricket with English people, I thought was a lovely kind of, uh, I mean, they're literally beside it, you know. So I just thought it was a lovely connection. And again, it's that idea of what does sport signify? What well, does it mean? A gazillion different things, right? And, um, and it's obviously uh, constantly evolving and changing as well. Uh, you do put music from the start to the end. Sure. And um, did, the, did the cobblestone thing happen? Wait, when did that happen? Because it, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, listen, I, you need a lot of luck when you're making a documentary. Like, that's just the truth. You know, you need a lot of luck. And I had a huge amount of luck on this project. And trad music was always going to be part of the project. Um, folk music, that scene that grew up in Stony Badder and Smithfield around the cobblestone that's produced Lancome, John Francis Flynn, Lisa O'Neill, Ye Vagabonds, you know, amazing, Ona Canavan, amazing acts who are doing, you know, who are like world names in that scene, all centred around this pub, basically. So it was always a kind of hallowed ground, you know, for a scene. Um, so there was always going to be the cobblestone in the mix, I think. But then when the cobblestone's future was threatened by developers who wanted to build a nine-storey hotel, you s- I suddenly realised that this was like the absolute hinge around which all the narratives in the film would coalesce. You know, this thing of people saying, no more. We can't, we're going to take the terrible rents. We're going to take the buy to let. We're going to take the developers building hotels and student accommodation and Airbnb, but they're not going to take the cobblestone. We're going to draw the line in the sand, you know? Yeah. And that was nine months into the project pretty okay, much. Okay, right. Happened. Yeah. You know, that was kind of just before Halloween. I remember one of the protests was on Halloween. That's what they were all dressed up as zombies and it stuff. It was amazing, yeah. <laughs> well, it was wonderful because it was a very creative expression of politics. Mm. Because my, the problem I have with a lot of political activism is it has no imagination. It's kind of, you know, it's a placard, it's a speech, usually a boring speech that you have to stand there and listen to. Yeah. These guys dressed up as zombies and had a Cayley on the steps of the civic offices. Car- they carried a coffin through the streets of Dublin with Dubliners dying on the side of it. Amazing. R.I.P. Dublin, I think it was. You know, they understood the value of an image and of culture and of music. And of course, Irish music is very much a music of communion. It's like, it's a participative amateur it's like the GAA of music. It's yeah. like, it's about participation, not about elite excellence. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. or professionalism. And I think that then, so that, and a street protest is actually a very uh, profound form of communion. I mean, that is literally a group of people thinking the same thing, right? Yeah, trying uh, to achieve the same thing as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. And also transgressing a little bit. And there's another thing in the film of that slight anarchic lawlessness of the North Inner City, you know, that oh, kind of... Gardens. <laughs> Right. Like when I screen the film in England, there's a huge fireworks scene in the film. And when I screen in England, I have to go, fireworks are completely illegal in Ireland, everyone, just so you know. So that is an act of massive public law. You watch it and go, maybe we should bring the kids down then next year. And then it was like afterwards <laughs> when uh, one of the women is describing like, and then there'd be the cars and they'd be burnt out. And I was like, maybe not. <laughs> it is. But I love Halloween for that anarchic edge. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's a wonderful 
thing in Irish society that the slight bit of danger about Halloween. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's always been very interesting for me. Um, the the other characters, and I don't want to obviously give too much away here. People have to go and see this um, in the cinema, especially in the cinema, because the the music and the sound system is going to be great. And like, I, I was it in, your intention to make music videos for like the ages for all of these bands who were in the. Well, it's for, I did a music video for Lancome about five or six years ago right. for their first album when they were still called Lynched for Cold Old Fire. And it was very similar aesthetic to this film. Okay. It was like a black and white 4-3 that had Rady Pete doing unaccompanied singing and I had the band doing their music. And it was one of the best projects I ever worked on. I felt I expressed myself fully and they loved it as well and it, it did really well. And I was also trying to get back into that world with them to do something in that kind of tone. And then I realised that my North Circular film and that film could be the same film, you know, so it all just got smushed together. Um, so, yeah, this, it's a musical is the idea of the film. So the idea of a musical is the, the, the songs tell the story. So you meet a prisoner and you hear a song about prison. You meet a soldier, you hear a song about being in the army and that the songs kind of re- rather than the film being about the songs, the songs are about the film. Yeah. Well, obviously it um, finishes with Gemma DeLevy and her family <clears throat> on stage and I'm like that was such a transcendent moment to finish it on the women are I would say again not to like hier- hierarchy here but they're the most important part of like large parts of the film um, and uh, their creativity and just the that expression but Gemma DeLevy's story about her granny that's incredible stuff when I heard that I was so chuffed because one of the things that had kind of emerged throughout the film was that we had these characters who were contemporary and alive and, you know, right in front of you, but they had these very deep connections to narratives of the past, you know, personal connections or family connections. So Gemma, it turns out her grandmother, great, great, great grandmother was the midwife of Monto, which is was the biggest red light district in Europe around Railway Street, Foley Street and um, behind Connolly's near Connolly Station, near the North Circular. So the midwife of Monto effectively would look after sex workers who'd become pregnant and help them deliver their babies. I mean, as you can imagine, a pregnant sex worker was not an economic asset to a brothel keeper or a pimp. So they tend to get treated very badly and be ejected from their accommodation and and just ostracised. So I think she was a very important figure, the Granny Dunleavy, as they call her, because not only did she deliver the babies, she also offered a bit of succour and support to people who were being treated very, very badly by yeah. people who, who ran the places. And uh, well, mostly women, the, the brothel keepers there, you know, like... Wh- where's the church that... Um, I didn't realise that. Where's the church that Gemma Levy goes into? So the church is the chapel of the convent on Sean McDermott Street where the Magdalen Laundry was. It's closed, is it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, we had a huge, long process of gaining access to that building because... It's very contested, the building. The future of the building is being discussed. It's a hot political potato in Dublin 1. And there's a lot of films about Magdalene Laundries and Mother and Baby Homes happening and they all want to go in there because it's the one to be in because it's so atmospheric and so high profile. But so, but getting in there was genuinely eerie. You couldn't make it up. Like we went in, there was a mummified dead pigeon on the ground and there was sort of cobwebs dripping off the furniture and like it was very creepy. But Gemma, unbelievably, when she was a tiny child, remembers going to that church when it was open. It's seen as like, uh, it's scary. Like it is scary. And her ability just to tie everything all together, like she's a, she's a superstar. 
she's a genuine superstar you come away from the film going wow like if um, Jonathan Franzen wrote a 700 page novel about the Dunleavies <laughs> you'd read it twice I know right she is sort of the complete package it's like she's sort of remarkably charismatic amazing screen presence entrepreneurial thoughtful has a bit of poetry to her yeah totally understands the history and, and a, representing the um, the area and herself and just while, while actually just being as opposed to wearing that with any uh, any difficulty so totally totally yeah she's a remarkable character really yeah the, the institution of the Magdalene Laundry is obviously that part of it and it's, it's kind of there the other institution is um, Grange Gorman yeah. which is where you live right right yeah so, indeed um, I'm a proud coach at St. Brendan's Grange Gorman GAA Club the mighty minnows very good between the twin death stars of Nafina and Plunkett's we plough our lonely furrow <laughs> everybody um, likes to be the underdog in St. Brendan's is an interesting club it was originally I think sta- uh, populated mostly by psych- psychiatric nurses from the mental hospital so right. they would typically be beefy young men from the country yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, who were used to a bit of uh, rough and tumble in the day job and they brought that to the pitch uh, so it's a club in a weird state where the men's team are still very much people who aren't from Dublin who've come up and connected and found their communion at St. Brendan's but the nursery's kind of bubbling under with uh, all the local hipster children hipster children basically there you go. insufferable hipsters a lot of us yeah. um, but they, they're again incredible scenes in there and again I'm not going to give any of the details away but like to discover the, there's an incredible scene in the movie where your, your jaw drops and you're like I just can't believe what I've heard yeah. and um Again, is that good luck? Is that good fortune finding somebody who's willing to tell that story? Well, it's, I, I don't want to spoil it, you know, and I often need to be respectful to that person because they were very, very generous with their story. But there is a character in the film who's a very, very talented tin whistle player who busks outside my local shops and who I just got chatting to because he chats to everyone right. at the shop. And, and I that's, sort of, that's how that happened. Yeah, and then I just, I thought that fella's probably worth a conversation. Yeah. And then just peeling back layers you know, flick, if he's like flicking through pages of a book and he went deeper and deeper into his life. But he's an extraordinary man and and a, and a very resilient, brilliant guy, you know, uh, in in many ways. Sean Atuma is his name. I'm, I'm hugely fond of him and I, I had to bring the film to his house to show it to him, which was very nerve-wracking uh, for both of us, you know. And he watched it in complete silence, his section, and then he just said, it's a wonderful production. You've captured me perfectly. Right, great. And I've never been so relieved. <laughs> I'm sure life. he's great, but I don't want to say too much more about him. No, you, have you know to see what it. though? His nephew told me he's probably in the top three tin whistle players who has ever lived. Really? So, yeah. Like his nephew is Eamon Debarra, who is Damien Dempsey's band leader and is a big, big figure in the folk crowd scene. And he said Sean, at his prime, was world class. Right. And is still very, very good despite all the tough things he's been through. Yeah. Well, you can you can see it. Yeah, like uh, middle of a conversation, a little bit of whistling, middle of a conversation, picks it up and then it takes you to places that you didn't know you were going to go, which I guess is the whole point of the music. Um, you, you talk there about the relief when somebody who's in the movie sees it and is happy with it. Uh, you've given birth to this thing now and you've been on the circuit for the last couple of weeks at, at right. various festivals and uh, the four-star review from The Guardian lands. Yeah. When, when you know that there's a review in The Guardian, what's that moment of like, 
I have to read this. I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave it there oh, until I'm ready to it. Well, it's even worse actually. Glenn, the PR fellow who's been done a brilliant job. He on Saturday he goes. The Guardian review is coming on Tuesday. So he knew in advance. Like he knew the review was coming. Hours but he knew, yeah, he knew nothing about what was in it. So of course I was really relaxed about that you know? <laughs> for a whole three days. So yeah, that was a big release of tension when that came in, and he loved it so much that I was. Well, I'm just really blown away when anyone who isn't from Ireland enjoys the film, you know, because it is so local. And when I was making it, I was like, is this a local film for local people? Is this a glorified community art project, really? But it kind of is. But then to bring it to London and Cambridge and Sheffield and then to The Guardian love it and you're like, wow, you know, this is resonating beyond. And I suppose, like, to us, it's familiar. To them, it's exotic and curious, you know, and it's a different... And I think the music transcends a lot of cultural barriers yeah. I think no matter where you are that music's gonna gonna land with you you know it's just the musicians in this film are much better at what they do than I am at what I do and I'm very lucky to be well, half the minute you know what I mean you know you're really good this is like um, this is the best work you've done we've been talking about your work you did Jump Boys people will be familiar um, Jump been on Boys the show Jump Girls numerous times yeah. um, about the, the very sports bits that you've done over the years I think the first time you were on the show was actually 20 years ago talking about uh, Robbie Keane t-shirts my god 20 years Jesus, that is frightening, isn't it? So I you're an overnight success person. now after 20 years of hard work. Well, more. Well, I, I, I got to be honest, it wasn't hard work. <laughs> hard work was something that took me a long time to get the hang of, to be honest with you. I took my sweet time. But, you know, I think with this project, the Arts Council gave me the money and said, make the film you want to make. Do not compromise. Do not come back with a TV doc. Don't cut the editorial corners to suit anyone. Just make the film you want to make. It's amazing. That never happens, you know? So it keeps a huge amount of pressure on me though as well because I'm like, I'm going to make the film I want to make. So if it's crap, uh, I'm the one who made... There's no one else's fault. There's, yeah. nowhere, there's nowhere to hide, yeah, you know? You can't go, oh, it's that guy made a crap, you no. know? So, and it was also a lot of pressure of it being where I live. Like, if it was bad, I would be reminded of it. Sticking out the local joint. Seriously. Yeah, Every yeah, time yeah. I'd open the front door, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> like I'd have to move house I'd have to go to the south side or, or something even worse no. you know? so it kind of it was a really hard proce- project and it was very under resourced and I was really went through a very deep dark tunnel making it where I was like very stressed out about it so for it to come together and for it to be in the cinema and it's sold out tonight in the lighthouse and it's sold out tomorrow in the iFi and the, one of the screenings the special events we're doing and you know and cinema is communion you see that's the thing is like you're sitting at home watching this on Netflix or on Mubi or on Vimeo and you're kind of half looking at your phone and it's the kettle's the boiling and there's a kid swinging out of you. If you're in a cinema and you're bed into the cinema with all these other people and you're going on that journey with them and it's mad. I've like, so I've seen the film in the cinema about nine, ten times and after the first three times I was like, I'm going to just not watch it this time. I've seen it too many times. I'm going to go out and do emails or whatever. Every single time I stay because and it's not the film, really. It's the it's hearing the audience and how they respond to it is so special. And that's what cinema gives you is that sense of going on a journey with people, you know. So the advice is to everybody to go and see it in the cinema. Does does a good review and the positivity behind it create momentum that actually helps more people see the movie? Is, is that... I think so. I think so. But, you know, I think for films like this, it's all about someone telling you it's worth seeing. Yeah. And, like, actually WhatsApp is a big part of what I'm uh, trying to use, kind of encourage people to share it with their friends on WhatsApp because I think... You know, the high level social media and the press, it's so suffused to branding and marketing dollars now. I think if someone WhatsApps you going, this is a really good film, 
that's something you believe, right? Yeah. You know, so in a way, like... Uh, we did see that, a lot of, of that during COVID where people were believing the WhatsApp. <laughs> True enough. You know, so that's well not what I was talking goods. about, but yeah, you know, point taken, point taken. Yep. It's not exactly a... a, a the same a, thing, just in reverse. Right, yeah, for sure. For Using sure. the superpowers <laughs> against the, the enemy. Yeah. But no, I, I would love people to go and see this in the cinema. I, I think it's something that people got out of the habit of doing during COVID. And anyone I know who has come to see it in the cinema has gone, God, I really enjoyed that experience of being there. Yeah. You know, so... And sorry, last question. Uh, is there going to be an album of the soundtrack? Is that something that like... You're not the first person to ask me. And I, for the first time I heard it, I was like, that's just a pipe dream. That's never going to happen. But sometimes things like that do happen. <laughs> and like, if I find myself opening the double vinyl of this soundtrack, it'll be vinyl, double vinyl. That's the dream. That would actually be the ultimate if I could just slot that into my record collection. I think then I will finally have arrived. I don't see any reason why not, though. Like, it, the, the soundtrack is so amazing that it would be great to have it collected. Right. Because that's a way into, like, soundtracks are a way in for the non-music aficionados. To it's a fair point. Like, I mean, going back years, do you remember Buena Vista Social Club? Like, yeah, I'd say a lot yeah. more people heard that record than ever saw that movie, you know what I mean? Harder They Come, the soundtrack. Right. Yeah, yeah, that for sure, definitely. for sure. You know, and even like, I know, I mean, I'm a fan of film soundtracks and actually the incidental music in the film that Kevin Murphy can. Uh, let me use from his back catalog is also amazing he played in the Savoy before the film last Friday on the cello played a few themes in the film and it was absolutely superb like, yeah. you know, so. well uh, enjoy the rest of your victory lap Camille thanks for having me in it's great to be here again no it is uh, it, like it is it's your best work it's like a, a career week career year so enjoy it thanks dude the, uh, the movie's called North Circular it's, um, it's in the cinema oh it sure is yeah you can get it in the cinema and um, yeah go and see it Thank <laughs> you.